right, Penn State fans. Penn State is 0-2 now. We're here to break it down for you. I'm Craig Rosala, joined by my partner, Brandon Musso. We're the For the Glory team. How are we doing tonight, Brandon? Well, as I always say, could be better after a loss. So, Yeah, it was a, a pretty disappointing effort, in my opinion, especially the way it started. Usually a Beaver Stadium whiteout. I know we didn't have the fans this weekend, but usually you expect Penn State to be energetic and ready from the jump. Ohio State just took it to Penn State right from the start. First play of the game, a 62-yard wide receiver run by Garrett Wilson. Just seeing Penn State wasn't in the game from the jump. Yeah, lackluster effort really to start. And, you know, as you said, with no fans, it was really disappointing when the, the broadcast started and they you know, they panned across the stadium oh. and you didn't see anything. Yeah. Just an empty stadium. It was definitely very weird to see. But, I mean, you could basically see why they started off so poorly. You know, they didn't really have anything there to pump them up. You know, yeah. you're going against one of the top teams in the nation and you're just in an empty, silent stadium, really. <laughs> Like I said, Ohio State get the ball to start the game. Uh, Garrett Wilson had a 62-yard run. And from there, Ohio State just pounded it uh, you know, to the Penn State defensive front. They looked like the much more physical team. They looked like they just wanted it more from the, the jump. And it was, you know, Penn State's a team that they lost their first game. They should have been the, the team that, in my opinion, was much more energetic. They should have wanted it. Their season was really on the line at that point. Um, but Ohio State just pounded down their throats. And then Penn State did get the ball back. Kind of like a little controversial uh, decision early on. Um, a third and two play where they took a deep threat to Jahan Dotson. Clifford overthrew him just by a couple yards. And I like the call personally. What did you think of that call um, to go deep on that third and two at the moment? I honestly, I didn't like that. No? I, I thought that was Why the not? wrong play call in that situation. If you're going into that third and two, knowing that you're going to go for it on fourth down, you at least have to try to run the ball. Um, maybe you get it, maybe you don't, but... The deep pass, Clifford hasn't had it all year. It's such a low percentage play. I just don't think that was the right time for it. And if Franklin was all along, knew that he wanted to go for it in that situation, you should have ran the ball on third down, see what you can get. And then if you, I mean, if you just got a yard, then you run the ball again. Okay. But, I mean, even that, you could just go with a short pass, something that's a high percentage pass. But, you know, a deep ball like that, I don't think was the right move. See, I actually like the deep ball in that situation. And then, you know, we're going to talk about this a little bit later on, but going to Jahan Dotson, your number one playmaker, I thought it was a great idea. Or maybe you catch Ohio State slipping. If it's completed, great. We get a touchdown of it. But the reason why I didn't like it was because the next play, you know, fourth and two now, you would think, oh, we're going with our bread and butter play. This is a play that works every single time in practice. It's something that it's kind of like the identity of the team. All right, we're going to get this play. On, you know, we need this. We need this play. This is possibly our season early on, the way Ohio State was – uh, grooving on offense to start, they went with a screen pass, which we saw last week was intercepted, and they they haven't run screen passes well all season. So that that's the part that killed me. Is I thought it was a good third and two play. I think the fourth and two was really 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 bad. <laughs> yeah, well maybe you know maybe that's something that that Kirk's been working on. We talked about in the last podcast. It's how, not working. <laughs> how just well, I mean we were very disappointed in how yeah. creative he was. You know, maybe that was his idea of getting a little bit creative, but obviously it didn't work out in the situation. But, you know, I think, like you said, you liked the deep ball. I think you have to kind of look at it situationally and, you know, how is the team playing at the moment? And from what we saw, I know you liked how Clifford played last mm -hmm. week. I wasn't particularly thrilled with it. 
he threw he's overthrown a lot of deep balls in his I mean really throughout his Penn State career. Yeah. Um I just think that with him as quarterback in particular that wasn't the right move to go for or the right call play call in that situation. Okay. So they don't convert on the fourth and two. We know how to gets the ball back. They go up 14 nothing. Chris Olave, it's funny. We we said the the two big playmakers to watch from Ohio State besides quarterback Justin Fields were Garrett Wilson. He has a 62-yard run first play of the game. Chris Olave, touchdown catch, really a great catch. Joey Porter Jr. did a phenomenal job in coverage, the, the redshirt freshman cornerback. And Chris Olave just made a play, it's proving why he's one of the top receivers in the country. Buckeyes go up 14 nothing. Penn State gets the ball back again. They, they're able to drive down the field a little bit after a very questionable roughing the passer call on third down. Um, Devin Ford had his best run of the game, a 23-yard gain. Jahan Dotson had a nice catch, really started his huge night. And at the end, they did settle for a 32-yard field goal. Jake Penninger finally came through and made a field goal for the Nittany Lions in 2020. From there, Ohio State, they kept moving the football. Justin Fields was unstoppable, but they ended up stopping themselves. Garrett Wilson dropped a touchdown pass, which at that point was Fields' second incompletion of the whole season, and both incompletions were dropped touchdown passes, just speaking of how great he was um, to start the year. And then they missed a field goal. So at 14-3, to you're thinking, with the ball now, Penn State could have some momentum here. They, they had no hope. They had no chance of scoring on the next drive. It was pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, throughout the whole first half, we, we saw the offense kind of really stall out um, on a lot of their drives. And, you know, I think it was a large part of, you know, Clifford just not being the quarterback that we thought he could be. Um, and I think that kind of hurt a lot of drives. I mean, we'll get it a little bit more into him and the wide receivers a little bit later. But I think that was kind of their, their biggest problem in the first in the first half. Yeah, and, you know, I'm just going to skip all the way to halftime here. In terms of the Penn State offense, they had four yards in the entire second quarter. You don't win many football games by doing that. Especially um, against one of the top teams in the yeah. country. And, and then Ohio State um, added a field goal, or not a field goal, they added a touchdown. Justin Fields found uh, his tight end, Rucker, wide open in the middle of the field, which after a timeout, Penn State was not in position. They didn't have enough guys on the field. I don't know what the miscommunication was there, but that's on the coaching staff, in my opinion. Well, I mean, it, it, it seemed to be a, a common theme throughout the the game. I know, you know Fields was on fire, dropping yes. um, accurate pass after accurate pass, but there was a lot of plays that were very similar to that play where the the defense just kind of got caught out of position, which was a theme throughout all of last year. We saw a lot of miscommunications with the secondary. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a lot of the, the problem with this defense, um, aside from Fields, because you kind of look at you know, the third, some of the third downs that they converted on were just, you know, guys were out of position. There was wide open receivers. Um, and that really just killed them. Like, that's the thing that we talked about. One of the the keys that we talked about going into the game, like the secondary needs to communicate with each other because this is not a guy that you can mess around with in terms of a quarterback throwing the ball. (laughs) You need to have everything in check. You need to make sure that you're doing the best thing you can because I mean, you could do the best thing you can, coverage-wise, but you want him to only beat you by throwing an absolute perfect pass. Mm-hmm. You, you don't need to make things easier for Justin Fields. Right. Again, for me, the most frustrating part of that play was it was right after timeout. They're not, you know, they're not going huddle up and you know, we're having to scramble from there. It was after a timeout that we called. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, like, I don't know. 
Uh, so Penn State got down 21 to three. Ohio State, you know, looks like they're going to just kneel the ball going to halftime, but a weird, really weird call. Um, as both teams were in the locker room at this point, the refs brought them back on the field. They said that Fields on a fourth and two took his, uh, his knee before time expired, which if you kind of count in real time, it seemed like he did take his knee in three seconds. There's two seconds on the clock. They should be in the locker room. The refs said no. They even reviewed it, and they said no. And that allowed Jordan Stout to drill a 50-yard field goal. So somehow, Penn State got four yards in the second quarter, but they got three points on the board. <laughs> I don't think that's uh, a good sign for the offense, but I don't think it's ever been done in college football before I was say, how many times in history has that happened yeah. before? Going to the locker room, that gave Penn State a little bit of momentum. Uh, they come out strong on offense in the second half after really just nothing going. QB runs were just ineffective. We thought that might be a good part of this Penn State offense heading into the game. Really just no contributions from the, the running game. So what Penn State started doing was they started running passing routes, uh, crossing routes on their, in their passing game. Fryermuth, uh, Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert-Smith, they all had huge catches. Jahan Dotson had two catches, one went for a touchdown. Penn State was right back in the game. 21-13 they were down, and they really carved up uh, the cornerback banks from Ohio State too. But – you know, th- at that point, it's like, okay, we have a football game here, 21-13. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw, we talked about Clifford getting involved in the in the run game. I, I, I would imagine that Ohio State was probably planning for that, and Penn State seemed to kind of overuse that play a lot. Yeah. They, I mean, it was just like play after play, you know, for our uh, design quarterback run from Clifford, design quarterback, like, it's getting stuffed every time. Like, they read it every single time, so... I mean, at least finally we saw them make a second-half adjustment and they started throwing the ball a little bit more. And to Clifford's credit, he did look really, really well um, in that first drive. They looked almost like a completely different team going oh, yeah. in that drive, going down the field right after the half. Um, and we're like, then you're thinking, oh, all right, I mean, I think we might be back into this now. Yeah, and unfortunately for Penn State, when they scored the touchdown, Justin Fields had the football back. Uh, even with Jesse Lucetta back on the field, and a couple of really good plays on the defense by both Brandon Smith. He had a tackle for loss on the drive, and then Antonio Shelton had a, a nice uh, tip pass at the line. Joey Porter Jr. ends up getting hurt on a really awkward sideline uh, collision, and Ohio State went right after his replacement, Marquise Wilson. Chris Olave with a phenomenal catch. Surprisingly, not the catch of the night, even though we thought so at the time. But he, he yeah, again, nice he burned catch. Penn State. He. He got open, and he made a phenomenal catch. Fields with another perfect pass as well in the corner of the end zone. Yeah, I, I was actually paying attention to that. And right when I saw Joey Porter Jr. go out, because, I mean, even just two games in this season, he's already become a very large part of the secondary oh, yeah. and defense in general. So when you see him limping off the field, I'm like, oh, boy. And, I mean, I was even excited about Marquise Wilson, but, you know, they were smart just to go right after him. And, you know, Olave... Uh, veteran receiver against you know a really a, a cold a guy that's cold at that a cold point. you know very inexperienced corner yeah. you know it was smart on their part and I mean he's still through with an absolute perfect pass so not much you can do on that one smart on their part but um, obviously didn't work out well for us yeah now from there Ohio State they made their adjustment to the the crossing routes that Penn State was throwing at them they brought some pressure on them as well especially up the middle um, Ohio State eventually got up thirty one to thirteen. And from there, there was the Jahan Dotson show where he just kept Penn State in the game. He was able to snag a, a one-handed catch with his left hand on a third and 17, which at that point, oh, Penn State was 0 for 6 on third down. 
and it was their first third down conversion of the game. Next, very next play, he makes a one-handed catch with his right hand. I'm sure as everybody's seen it, it was the number two play on SportsCenter's top 10 on Sunday. He had a phenomenal game. He had eight catches for 144 yards. That was the second touchdown of the game. He eventually added on another touchdown. But from there, Penn State really wasn't in the game. They had a couple, you know, drives that, you, you know, thought, okay, we can get right back into it. Sean Clifford had an interception that eliminated that. Um, and then the Buckeyes just pulled out the win, 38-25, to 25 in a game that, in my opinion, you know, 38-25, 13-point deficit, doesn't sound too bad, but it wasn't that close. It really mm-hmm. wasn't. So I mean, what was your take on that? I mean, I mean, you could definitely look at it and let's say, look at the score and say, oh, 38-25, I mean, they were in it. But I, I remember texting you during the game. I'm like, they're just getting dominated pretty much in every facet yes. of the game right now. I think it was just flat out Ohio State has more talent than them. I think that was the biggest thing in this game. You look at, you know, offensive line, defensive line, like they won up front. I always talk about how big of a, a deal that is. Um, wide receivers, obviously, for Ohio State were exceptional. Secondary mm-hmm. struggled for us. Um, you know, it, it was just every – it seemed like every position group that you can go to, Ohio State was beating them in, and it yeah. was kind of an amazing thing that they were only down – 13 points at the end of when the clock expired. I mean, looking at the stat sheet, Master T rushed for over 100 yards. We we knew that the Ohio State running game couldn't get going because it would make things easier for Fields. Fields didn't even do anything on the ground. So Penn State, I don't think they really took it away. I think Ohio State was just like, we don't need him to run today. He's doing okay. You know, Sermon added 56 yards himself on 13 carries. So they were able to run the ball pretty well. Both guys averaged over four yards per carry. Um, both Olave and Wilson had over 100 yards receiving. Olave had the two touchdowns. He had seven catches. Wilson had 11 catches for 111 yards. So the two guys that we said to look for both had huge games, not to mention Wilson's 62-yard run. But in my opinion, I think the story of the night was Justin Fields. You know, Justin Fields was coming into this game. He was pumped up. We saw all the film throughout the day on ESPN where he was committed to Penn State, He, you know, he was supposed to be Penn State's quarterback for the you know last season and you know this year and you know next year as well, and he tore Penn State apart. He just continued whatever he was doing against Nebraska, where he had one incompletion. It was the drop touchdown by Olave, and he just brought that right back into Penn State. And besides maybe the one pass breaker by Joey Porter Jr., there wasn't any bad plays by Justin Fields. And any bad plays they were about to have, he turned into great plays. He he completed a pass when he was falling down to the ground with two guys about to tackle him. He was insane. He was the difference in the game, in my opinion, in that, you know, they had Justin Fields, we had Sean Clifford, and we couldn't match up with that. No, I mean, there's just, I mean, especially painful for us. <laughs> just okay, just yeah. hearing every single, like, every single week we hear, oh, you know, he could have been at Penn State. He could have been at Penn State when he, you know, when he's in the national spotlight tearing defenses apart. Um, but yeah, he, he was just perfect. I know I left last podcast off by saying, um, good teams win because they play clean games. That was a clean game from him. He made no mistakes, absolutely no mistakes. He was perfect. Almost every throw that he threw was right on the money. And that's really what killed Penn state. Yeah. And you look at the top three teams in college football right now. One is Clemson. They have Trevor Lawrence, although he's sidelined. Uh, last week against Boston College, and then this week coming up against Notre Dame because of, uh, he's a positive COVID test. Mac Jones from Alabama is tearing it up. They don't even forget who Tua Tagovailoa was at Alabama <laughs> right now. 
And then number three is Ohio State with Justin Fields. The three best quarterbacks in the country are the quarterbacks of the three best teams. It it just makes sense, like, right now. It's It just sh- goes to show that when you have an NFL-caliber-style quarterback, you're going to be one of the top teams easily. Not going to lose many. No. In comparison to Sean Clifford, you can just see the, the differences where Justin Fields can make any type of throw he wants, and Sean Clifford is not able to because of his lack of accuracy. And I mentioned it last week. I you know I was like, oh, he threw the touchdown in overtime, but it could have been a more accurate pass. It was even more glaring this week. You, know, you talked about the, the third and two with Jahan Dotson throwing the deep ball. Dotson was open. He missed him. Mm-hmm. If he Justin Fields makes that throw. Oh, yeah. You know, we saw well, he did make a it. lot of them. We, <laughs> we saw, saw yeah. a lot of them, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think that right now that's unfortunately the big key difference. Um, so moving on to Clifford here, I think we have a lot of answers on him. I know I was a, a little high on him last week with leading the comeback last week. I'm, I'm not so high. And, and it's not, I, I think it's it's not so much the, you know, I saw something different. It's, it's just, I think I was blinded a little bit. But now I'm like, okay, I think we know what we have. He's a, a, a good college quarterback. He's going to be drafted. I th- I'd say at some point, maybe sixth, seventh round, though. He's not, you know, Justin Fields is going to be an NFL franchise savior. Looking at the Jets, looking at a couple other teams in the, in the National Football League, Sean Clifford is not that. And I think we just kind of have to bear with him right now because I don't think Will Levis is not ready. No. Um, none of the freshmen um, are ready. Taquan Robertson, I, I just. Yeah, I this mean, point right now. <laughs> at, at this point, it's he's their best option. But yeah, you know, I I w- was looked at looking at the Indiana game completely different than you did. Yep. In terms of Clifford's performance, I just he I think accuracy is the biggest thing. You know, we just talked at length about Fields and how he just made the perfect pass every time. That's something that Clifford doesn't do, and that's pretty much his issue. Like he has the arm. Um, I mean, he could throw. He can throw into tight windows. He can zip the ball in. He can throw the deep ball. Obviously, we see him um, overthrow the ball all the time. But yeah. it's the accuracy that, that really he struggles with. And I think there's the accuracy that's part of it. And also, I don't know if you noticed this, but even in the Indiana game, he just looks very uncomfortable in the pocket. Like, And a lot of the times he has time. I know mm-hmm. I've, I've bashed the offensive line you know, a lot. Yeah. But... <laughs> he's been he's had a decent amount of time and you know it seems like he drops back and you know immediately he's like scrambling out of the pocket when he doesn't need to when he I mean he could get a couple more seconds in to at least make a couple more reads but I think those are probably his two biggest issues and you know that's (laughs) what you need to be when you're a college quarterback if you want to play with the top teams in the country yeah I I totally agree with you, and I hate that I was blinded by this in the past, <laughs> especially when Penn State's winning a lot of games last year and they started off red hot. Um, I have an interesting comparison for you. Okay. So going back to 2005, Michael Robinson, phenomenal Penn State quarterback in 2005. He was a top five finisher in the Heisman Trophy race. They moved on to Anthony Morelli. Anthony Morelli was a five-star recruit. It was Penn State trying to get him or Chad Henney. Chad Henney had a better career. But... I'm making the comparison, Sean Clifford to Anthony Morelli. Trace McSorley, record-setting quarterback. We need to replace him with Sean Clifford. In 2007, kind of different eras here in terms of passing game. You know, the Joe Paterno offense uh, just wasn't 
there was a pro style offense. We, we had we had a fullback. We were under center. Run the I know, ball. Run the times, ball. Run ancient, the ball. <laughs> yeah, ancient times here, where Sean Clifford's been in the shotgun. But you know, people I know criticize Anthony Morelli like crazy at his time at Penn State. I'm going to read his 2007 stats since Clifford's in his second year as a starter as well. 2007, his completion percentage 58.2%, 2,651 yards. Uh, 19 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. His rating was 124.2. Okay. Sean Clifford in 2019, 59.2%. So 1% off the yards, 2,654, three more yards. And he had 23 touchdowns, seven interceptions, a rating of 148.5. And now the I think the differences in offensive styles kind of helps Clifford in terms of the, you know, the production in terms of touchdowns and interception ratio because they give him easier throws, but to be only 1% above Morelli is kind of glaring in my opinion. But I think it speaks to the lack of accuracy that Clifford has. You know, I, I'm even thinking the, the interception he had to, he was throwing to Pat Fryermuth. He wasn't even close on that. And it wasn't that difficult to throw in my opinion, but it's who we have to have as our quarterback right now. So I really don't think anybody else is ready, but I think that's the difference between Penn State and Ohio State in at least one way in terms of the talent gap. We don't have a NFL dude at quarterback that can make every throw. We have a, you know, a pretty good college quarterback. So you're saying we have the second coming of Anthony Morelli? I think that's what we have right now. And then we, <laughs> we need to find our Daryl Clark to bring us back to the Rose Bowl. Let's bring that back. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we just want to touch on those guys. And also I want to touch on the coaching in this game. There's one really glaring thing I saw at the offenses on Saturday night in terms of Ohio State and Penn State. Yes, one has Justin Fields, one doesn't. Did you notice all the motion that Ohio State was doing throughout the game? No, I didn't. So I, I noticed this. You see the first play, Garrett Wilson going across the line, stretching the field horizontally, and then that allows them to get vertical. You see this on Sunday a lot watching the NFL where all these teams are running so much motion. It's you know, to see if they're in man or zone defense, as you see where guys are matching up. It's also to create confusion. We saw the Penn State defense pretty confused on Saturday, right? <laughs> a lot. Yeah. The Penn State offense does not do that. They're very stale. And, mm-hmm. and not just the play calling, because the play calling, you know, you can criticize the first half, you can love the second half, that's okay. But the movement is just so stale, and we don't create, we don't get to see our matchups. It's all stuff on the sideline that the coaches call out. It's not Clifford making the calls. And also, we don't see the defense get confused. You know, let's go back to 2017. How confused was Michigan when Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley switched spots? <laughs> so confused, right? Yeah. We don't do that stuff anymore. Yeah, you, I mean, you have to be creative. You know, you said play calling is one thing, but also you have to be able to read a defense, and they just didn't do that. I mean... Clifford made a lot of audibles at the line. Um, I noticed that. And they really never seemed to work out. Ohio State seemed to know almost every time what they were doing. They are very, very predictable. Um, We saw, like we just talked about, a lot of QB runs. Ohio State saw that coming from a mile away. Mm -hmm. They stuffed almost every one of them. And that was kind of the biggest thing that we said at the beginning of the game, basically as a key of how they were going to win the game is – can Clifford get involved with his legs? I don't know if they could have done it differently um, in terms of like formations and how exactly they got Clifford involved with his legs. 
Um, but the way they did it was very predictable and yep. it was stopped. Yeah. And that's, that's the part that kills me. It's predictable. Yes. It's predictable. You know, we, we can, me and Brandon are not the most, you know, X's and O's football, um, you know, connoisseurs, I guess. Yeah. But when we can tell what's going to happen on first and 10, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you think Ryan day and, you know, Larry Johnson and, you know, all those guys are going to know what's happening. Yeah. They're going to know. Um, and the other thing is, I believe you read the article 24 seven sports put out about the recruiting battles that Penn state and Ohio oh, state have had. Yeah. I remember sending that. Oh man. <laughs> um, the fields one is obvious. We don't get Justin Fields, but we didn't expect that to hurt us because uh, he went to Georgia. So pretty understandable. But 24-7 did a great job of breaking down how Penn State losses in recruiting have impacted this rivalry where, yeah, they're getting some good recruits, but Ohio State is getting great ones. I know the obvious one is Julian Fleming. We were so worried about who Ohio or who Penn State's going to be throwing the ball to this year. And we have a couple of freshmen that have stepped up so far. But Julian Fleming was a guy that visited Penn State more than any other school he visited. It's, it's an hour away from his hometown. And Ohio State just came to our state and got him. That seems to be, I mean, I remember I sent that article to you midweek, and I was just like, well, if you're already uh, disappointed enough in what we just watched in terms of that yeah. Ohio State game, let's just, let me just show you one more thing about how <laughs> Ohio State's beating Penn State. And there was a lot more players on there than I expected. Yeah. And it, it was a lot of, Ohio State coming into Penn State and taking recruits from mm -hmm. like and not just recruits like the top recruits in the state which is a huge issue because we see we see Franklin always preaching the you know dominate the state dominate the state and then you have your arch rival dominating the state and it doesn't yeah. look too good and I was looking at too where they were mentioning some prospects are like three-star guys and they're like yeah, they're three-star guys, but Ohio State's taking them for Penn State and making them their, like, their development projects where they're not expecting them to play until they're at least a junior, maybe even a senior. And it's because they have you know, 11 four-stars in three years at the offensive line where Penn State only has like four. So it's like their development guys are guys that we're relying on to start as you know, sophomores, or, and they're not necessarily ready yet. And we saw in the trenches that the Ohio State defensive line was much more dominant Ohio State offensive line was much more dominant than either of the Penn State lines. And it's something that with a 2021 class for Penn State that's looking pretty weak right now, it's something to keep track of going forward in terms of, you know, I, I didn't think in 17, I thought 17 we were better than Ohio State. I thought 18 we were right there, maybe even better. We blew the game in the last second. 19, oh, we lost Clifford, a quarterback, you know, we're on the road. Maybe it's, you know, the 11-point differential you know, who knows? But then this year, it was like, yeah, these two teams are not close right now. We're not close. Yeah, and that was the most glaring thing that I noticed. And, like, just watching the game, we were texting back and forth, and I remember just saying, like, they just don't have the talent to compete with these guys. It's it's just pretty clear right now. And then you look at – we already knew what the 21 class looked like, and we were, you know, pretty disappointed in that. And then I come across the article and I'm like, oh my God, yeah. it just gets worse. And like recruiting has always been, you know, Franklin's calling card. It's always been his, his strength. A lot of people knock him for his coaching, but he's all, I mean, to date he's been a great recruiter, but right now they're losing the, the battle and the recruiting. And that is what you need. Like 
they need to flip the script on Ohio State or, you know, this is kind of going to be the story for years to come. You hear it in Franklin's voice after game in the press conference today. He's a little bit, you know, I think he realizes what he has in this team right now where he's missing three of his best players. One is a top five NFL pick, in my opinion. Another one's, you know, a draft pick this year if he goes out for the draft in Journey Brown. I think he realizes what this team is. But going forward, we have to win the recruiting battles. We know Ohio State's going to be really good. And, you know, we could talk on James Franklin in-game. You know, not every coach is perfect in-game. People were making fun of Andy Reid for years. He's a Super Bowl-winning uh, coach. Is anybody going to deny that he's a great coach? No. You guys were making fun of him for his time management throughout the years, especially Eagles fans. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but we need to get back to winning the recruiting battles that, you know, he's won some where, like, he's won some developmental projects himself. And, you know, Saquon Barkley wasn't the most highly rated recruit. He wasn't a five-star by any means. Um, Jason Oway, your boy, mm-hmm. not a five-star recruit by any means, but we have to get some of those five-star guys in and have them stay, not just like a Justin Shorter who played one year and left. We need those five stars like Micah Parsons, the impact guys, um, continue to develop and be our stars, not Ohio State stars. Mm-hmm. But enough of the bad stuff. You want to talk about some of the good stuff from this game? Yeah, let's let's get more positive yeah. here. It's a little more optimistic. So we're going to go a little good, bad, ugly. Hope we're going to talk about the good start. Let's get back into the positive mood here. I'll start it. The easy one. Let's hear it. Jahan Dotson. Jahan Dotson, we knew that he was going to be Penn State's number one receiver this year. He's the most experienced guy coming back. And he had himself a night. Mentioned before, eight catches for 144 yards, three touchdowns. He had 12 total targets, so he's the number one targeted guy. And to me, I was, you know, going to the game, I was like, okay, he's our number one guy. But now I'm like, is he going to be leaving after this year? <laughs> like, we might need him back next year. Yeah, I know. Um, and I think we talked about it in our group chat. It was like his Chris Godwin Rose Bowl breakout game. Yep. He was phenomenal. And he, he did it against a guy, Sean Wade, who's – he came back, and I think I think Corey, our, our partner Corey Lestoke, he tweeted, he's like, Sean Wade came back to get burned. Like, John Dotson had his number. He had a great game, and he's somebody that I know I'm looking forward to watching play the rest of the year. Maybe he gets a double-digit touchdowns in the shortened uh, COVID season. We knew coming into the season he was going to be the top guy. We were waiting for a game like this that he could kind of, I wouldn't say take over, but in terms of the offense, he was the bright spot. And, you know, this is what they need out of their top receiver. Yeah. What do you got now? So not just him, but I was actually really impressed with the other wide receivers, Parker Washington um, in particular. Mm-hmm. I I harped on everyone a lot. They don't get a lot of separation. We know this. But, you know, when I kind of, like, take a deeper look at it, I just talked about it before, Clifford seems to be have, you know, happy feet in, in the uh, – in the pocket and he doesn't really get through his reads. So, you know, part of not getting separation could also be attributed to, to, to Clifford not seeing, you know, wide open. There was, there was a lot of guys that were open for Mm -hmm. a lot of the times where he kind of threw one out of bounds or was scrambling out of the pocket. Um, They were getting separation to their credit more than I had expected. So I was really happy with Washington, you know, four catches, 73 yards, really solid day. Looked really fast, shifty. That was kind of, you know, one of his biggest attributes in watching him. And then, you know, Keandre Lambert-Smith, a lot of the national people talked about him um, as a kind of a breakout guy. You know, just two for 18, not crazy good. But, you know, he looked good with the, the passes that he 
mm-hmm. um, was thrown were thrown his way, and I, I think as the season go on, you know, he'll probably get some more targets. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. You mentioned Clifford. You mentioned play calling. First half was like, oh, they're not getting any type of separation. We we can't throw the ball. Second half they did. Yeah. Was it play calling? Was it the receivers? We'll have to find out in the next six seven weeks what the you know what the problem was or what the solution actually is. I think these receivers have talent. We'll see if we're going against some weaker competition, if we can really break out here. Um, I'm going to change up and go to special teams. Jordan Stout, I mentioned last week a little bit, um, just missed the, the 57-yard field goal. Bang the 50-yarder before half. His kickoffs, not a problem. <laughs> not a problem. And then in the punting game, he averaged 49 yards per punt. And throughout the whole game, you know, Ohio State had the opportunity, you know, with one bad punt, it started on the Penn State side. We would have been in huge trouble, but he made them actually work for it a little bit by, you know, putting them back on the other side of the field. No punting issues. Jordan Stout, great job. Yeah, field position battle is important, and uh, we <laughs> we really do miss Blake Gillikin. But I mean, hey, if we have a guy like Jordan Stout, you know, booming punts, you know, flipping the field. I mean, you can't really complain. No, no uh, glaring mistakes from the special teams this week. No, I think uh, he's he's done a great job. I have I have no complaints on him. All right, what do you have as your next good? Uh, I think I just talked about him before, Joey Porter Jr. I think he's becoming one of the best players on the defense. Got hurt for a little bit. Uh, everyone kind of <laughs> held their breath for a little bit yeah. when they saw him limping <laughs> off the field. And then, obviously, I think Ohio State recognizes how good of a uh, player he is. Um, they went right after his replacement. And, Obviously, it ended up in the result as a touchdown. So you just see immediately how um, valuable he is to this defense. And, you know, hopefully, I think he, he did come back, but hopefully that's not something that's a lingering issue. But definitely a bright spot for this defense that didn't really look all that well, that good. Yeah, and I think with Porter Jr., you're going to say, oh, Olave and Wilson had huge nights. I don't think that's on Joey Porter Jr. Those guys are really, really good. Right. And I think it's definitely a bright spot. Here's to me hoping that he continues to be a really, really good cornerback because I don't want to say in two years we're like, oh, Joey Porter Jr. has not gotten any better since 2020 when he made his <laughs> debut. I'm hoping that's not the case but because I feel like that happens sometimes with these Penn State defensive backs where we, we see them too much, the bigger 10 teams see them too much, yeah. and you know we're like, oh, these guys aren't even that good anymore. I, I hope that I'm not putting too much high expectations on him, but I, I really like him as a player, so... I really hope that he turns into something special like what we kind of can see right now. Yeah. Um, I'm going to stick to the defense here. I'm going Brandon Smith. Brandon Smith is making some big impact plays. I know I marked down an open field tackle. Um, I mentioned tackle for loss earlier. And he also had a sack. He, I think, he, yes, he's young. He's no Micah Parsons. But you get to see his play, a big playability against a really good Ohio State offense. I think that's something to watch the rest of the year. How many big plays can Brandon Smith make? as a linebacker for this Penn State defense. Yeah, big five-star recruit. We needed to see a lot of them to replace Parsons. So I haven't been crazy impressed with them, but I am happy with how he's playing right now. I would say if I'm James Franklin, I'm looking for him to be more consistent. Yes. Parsons Parsons was very consistent his freshman year, his first year playing. This is Brandon Smith's first year playing. We saw the big plays from Parsons as well. Right. Brandon Smith is doing that. Be more consistent, and that will make all the difference in the world, I think. Yep. So what do you have next? Um, so, I mean, we, I know we touched on it a little bit before, but they really started to get the passing game going in the second half. I was really happy to see that. Devin Ford 
didn't really look all that good in the run game. They needed to change it up. Um, and, you know, they went right down the field, throwing the ball, got Washington involved. Obviously, Dotson was a huge part of that. I think that was kind of where I started to feel a little more confident in, you know, what the, the kind of offense that Kirk is putting together. Mm-hmm. But I just think that this is how they have to go because missing two running, like the top running backs yeah, that they were supposed to have, you need to throw the ball. Clearly, I mean, we saw some really good potential from Washington, Lambert Smith. This is kind of the offense that need to run. Um, kind of what I was expecting, to be honest with you, just from watching, you know, Penn State play Minnesota last year. <laughs> the wide receivers yeah, had guys a big were in day. space. They yes. were in space. I thought that that was kind of going to be like the the key to to Kirk's offense, but you know, we saw a little bit of it in the second half. So I hopefully that's kind of a positive that they can build off going further into the season. Yeah, I mean, I think we have our number one guy for sure, Dotson, Minnesota. We saw had Tyler Johnson last year and Rashad Bateman, who's a potential first-round pick. So Kirk has some pieces in play. He has some playmakers and some young guys that with these next six games, you're not playing for a Big Ten title. Let's play to develop these guys and have these guys get some great experience and some confidence out there. I think that's something we can look forward to um, going forward in the rest of the year. Um, I have one more good. I thought Antonio Shelton, as non-physical as this Penn State defense was at times, I thought Antonio Shelton had – some nice plays. I mentioned a pass tip before he had a sack. I thought he played a nice game. Kind of disappointed throughout the game how the defensive line played. That Those are my guys there, and they really <laughs> weren't all that impressive. But, you know, Shelton looks pretty decent. Yeah. Um, do you have any more goods? Um, I don't think there was that many more <laughs> beyond that, to be honest with you. Yeah, I was definitely reaching as well, <laughs> um, trying to, you know, dig for some. But, you know. You're the positive guy. Yeah, here, I am so. the positive guy. So, those are our goods. Uh, let's go to our bats. What you could start. I've been. I mentioned this way back in our preview podcast. I'm just not convinced that the running back that Devin Ford is. It's unfortunate that we lost the you know two guys that were supposed to be ahead of him, but I didn't really understand why it was only Ford. We didn't see Holmes or Lee. I think they may have both gotten in for a couple plays. They didn't get any carries, but I don't. I didn't really understand where he was going with that because Ford didn't really look all that well. And, you know, maybe that's a result of the matchup with the offensive line versus the defensive yeah. line of Ohio State. But, you know, maybe try out Holmes a little bit, maybe try out Lee. I will give Ford a little bit of credit. Um, he had a couple of nice runs. Um, the 23-yard long looked really shifty, really good in space. Um, I was actually – he looked like a different back. I was kind of surprised. At, yeah, that one play looked great. Yeah. But other than that, um, end of the day with – like 40, 43 yards, I want to say. 36. Uh, 36. 36. Yes, uh, even worse. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I hope to see more Holmes and Lee because, you know, Ford just didn't get the job done. And I, I hope that Franklin kind of sees this. I'm not really sure, you know, what his idea was there, especially because we saw both of those guys yeah, in, against the Indiana. And, you know, especially Lee looked really good. He made the most yeah. of what he was given and you know you come into the biggest game of the year and you don't even give the guys a chance which i found pretty interesting now i love james franklin i'm a huge fan i wrote an article about him last year when he got his extension why we need to appreciate him more i'm gonna call him a little bit of a hypocrite today in his press conference he said that we didn't see holmes or lee that much but that's despite us seeing them in the season opener we said oh we threw them in university and they were ready for it we're gonna use them the rest of the year 
Well, why didn't you throw in the university against Ohio State? Maybe if they got into a rhythm, maybe that helps Sean Clifford. Not all the pressures put on him. You know, Devin Ford wasn't doing too much. And, you know, that 23-yard run was on the first series of the game for <laughs> Penn State. Or the, I should say the second one, um, where they, you know, kind of got bailed out on a roughing the passing call. And they, they just, you know, were able to drive on offense. Why don't we see those guys? Why don't we see those guys? They're, you know, again, we have to... We have to be consistent in what we're saying here. We have to be consistent. That's all I'm going to say about James Franklin there. But I, I think they just need experience. and I mean, better time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're in one of the biggest games of the year. You have your two top running backs out. You have one guy taking all the carries and not doing well, struggling mightily, I will say. Like, why not give them some carries? They're going to be needed, whether it's at the end of the season or even into next season, yep. they're they're going to be needed at some in some facet of the offense. Why not get them experience now? Why not get them experience against one of the best teams in the in college football? Yeah. Um, so I have a question for you. Okay. Do you want me to say some good things about the running backs, or do you want me to keep saying some bad things about the running backs? <laughs> <laughs> um, let's let's just stay positive, all right? Let's stay positive. Okay. Yeah, let's stay positive. So. What I thought Devin Ford did a really good job of doing was pass protection, where Ohio State was bringing blitzes up the middle, and he was just standing those linebackers up. He had no problem with that. <laughs> the problem was Sean Clifford on those plays got very nervous. He got happy feet, and he escaped the pocket. And Kirk Herbstreit, who I absolutely love as a broadcaster. Oh, he's one of the best. He noticed it right away. He's like, he's seeing that this guy is coming right at him, and he's thinking that, that this guy is going to go right past Devin Ford. And it did not happen. Devin Ford stood him up. Like we've seen a lot of these Penn State running backs in the past. I know Barkley's the most notable one where he just put guys right in the ground as a, as a blocker. Devin Ford was doing the same thing, but Sean Clifford didn't realize that. He escaped the pocket, and that's when the big plays for Penn State went away was when Sean Clifford had to escape. He felt pressure, even though it really wasn't there because Devin Ford was picking it up. That's something that I think for the rest of the year – Watch this Maryland game. I think they're going to see this on film and say, we get pressure right in Clifford's face. He's going to leave the pocket, and then the advantage goes to the Maryland defense. It goes to whoever else they're playing. I think that's something to watch. Did not like that from Sean Clifford, even though the running backs did a great job. Yeah. All right, what do you got next? Um, I'm going to go back to the defensive line. We, uh, we were actually very high on them coming off the Indiana game and how good they were in terms of you know stopping the run. And I know Ohio State, you know, Ohio State fans will know this. Going into the Penn State game, they were not really happy with how their run game performed against Nebraska. And I thought, well, I mean, you have a, you know, a new running back that they're they're kind of breaking in there. And I thought, well, Penn State played well run defense last week. They have a new running back. They were disappointed how they played last week. Maybe you know, Penn State could kind of use this as a strength. I was wrong about that. Master Teague kind of. Just rolled them over. They didn't win any of the battles up front. I was very disappointed in that. From the start, too. Not even, oh, they got worn down. It was from the very first drive. Yeah. And, I mean, typically, even when, you know, the bad years with Penn State where we kind of saw them stay in the game for, you know, a quarter, maybe two, before they kind of got worn down by, you Mm -hmm. know, the talent that that Ohio State has. Um, You know, this was just from the start. They just didn't look good. So disappointed in the 
run stopping and also like the pass rush just wasn't good. Fields is great, obviously. He threw a lot of perfect passes, but I mean, you could change a game if if you get some pressure on the guy. He really was kind of very comfortable in the pocket the, pretty much the whole night. Yeah, I know towards the end of the game, they started getting a little bit of pressure. They kind of finally broke through for a sack. But throughout the game, he really had a lot of time to kind of place the ball wherever he, he wanted to. It remains to be seen whether, you know, what he does in the face of, you know, pressure from the defensive line. Because you know maybe the game could have changed if they if they were kind of in his face more and, and you know kind of forcing some some errors from him. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. They just weren't physical from the start, and it was a little too little too late when they got to him at yeah. that point. You know, I know they they had a wide open sack at the end of the game, absolutely crushed him. But yeah, like, and oh. he bounced right back up because guess what? He threw for over three hundred yards, had <laughs> no issues doing it. Um, so he had no problems with that. I'm gonna go to some of the mistakes. In the first half, there was so many mistakes that I just kept marking them down. You know, we had a delay <laughs> of game on a third and nine in the red zone. Why? Yeah. Why? We should be looking to store. We need to convert. We need to store. We're down. Delay of game. There's no urgency. Late hit, about, late hit out of bounds on a third and one. Yes, Ohio State converted anyway. Um, this is this what I talked about with the inconsistency of Brand Smith. He was called for the penalty. It was, he's it was it was five yards out of bounds. Yes. It was it was it was a pointless play, no reason to do it, and it's kind of things that we talk about when you try to beat a, a good team. You can't make mistakes like no. that. It's just it's a bad mistake. Another one, Lamont Wade had a pass interference on a third and two. One of Justin Fields' only really bad passes of the night. If even if Wade didn't hold the receiver, he's not catching that ball. It went out of bounds, and it would have been a three and out for Ohio State. Instead, they keep going. You know, and then I mentioned before, guys running onto the field late after our own defensive timeout <laughs> on third and goal. I, to me, that was the most glaring one. I was just, I was, I was dumbfounded when I was watching that. I'm like, this is the biggest game of the year. How are you making mistakes like this? This is just a lack of urgency, and I think a lot of this goes to the coaching staff. And I have one more on the mistakes part. Um, this is in the second half. We're, we were not in position. We were. Um, Ellis Brooks and Jesse Lucchetta were trying to figure out who was blitzing and who was in coverage on a third and eight down 13 with a chance to get the ball back. How are we making these plays and being so unprepared <laughs> on the biggest plays of the game? How, how are we doing this? Yeah. How are we doing this? And I think that kind of, that kind of boils down to a lot of the, you know, we talked about the coaching difference. <laughs> like that's one of them right there. You, you it's have, as bad as I've seen it. I mean, you have to have your guys years. in position. They, I remember that exact play. They they almost didn't know what was going on. They're all out there looking at each other. And, like, third and eight, you haven't stopped them pretty much all day. Why don't you make a stop to get yourself back yeah. in this game? If you're going to make a mistake, look look good doing it. Look aggressive. If you look dumbfounded, <laughs> I can't – as positive as I am, I can't uh, stand up for you. I can't – Defend your mistake. I can't. <laughs> I can't do it. And like I said, I, I haven't seen this from a Penn State team under James Franklin. We've seen miscommunication in the secondary, but it's based on confusion that the offense is providing. Not when our own two guys don't know where to be because of our own two guys after our own timeout. Yeah, coming like, off a timeout makes it a uh, hundred times worse. Yeah, I was, as you can tell now, my blood is boiling. <laughs> Three days after it happened, I already know the result. I'm. Oh, I was fuming on Saturday, too. <laughs> so, mistakes. Stop, please. All right, what do you got? 
I, I, I do want to just, I want to touch a little bit more on, on Clifford's kind of happy feet in the pocket. Cause mm-hmm. I think that's a huge part of why they're struggling so much in the, in the offense. I've been just bashing and bashing the wide receivers. I've been texting everyone talking about Penn state. <laughs> the only thing I could talk about is we have no wide receivers that can get open, but I mean, I would say at least 50% of this falls on Clifford. Mm-hmm. He seems to only be looking at one guy every play, which you can't really rely on. Not against good defenses. Right. You can't just expect the one guy to be open. There's, there's not just one guy, the same guy to be open every single play. You need to be able to read, and he's kind of you know moving around in the pocket. He has a lot more time than he thinks he does, and that's kind of contributing to the fact that um, he's got to throw it out of bounds. He's got to scramble out of the pocket. And just, you know, when he's scrambling out of the pocket, we've seen him. He makes he does not throw well on the run. We've seen a lot of mistakes in that. Um, a couple interceptions in the end of the game. A couple of bad throwing balls in the Ohio State game from that. I think that's really contributing to, you know, this offense and the struggles that they've kind of had throughout the uh, early goings of this season. Yeah, you if you ban the play as a quarterback and the offensive line doesn't know where you're going, how can they block for you? Right. How can your receivers adjust when they're running their routes if you're in the pocket and they see that you're on towards the sideline or at least going towards the sideline and you're on the other side of the field? How can they adjust you? I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm done with that. I, <laughs> I, I think we touched on that enough yeah, uh, today. I just, I just wanted to just one yeah. last uh, just one last bad thing that I wanted to bring up yeah. was that. I got one more in terms of the passing game. In Going back to, again, ancient times here, Joe Paterno, uh, even Bill, the Bill O'Brien offense, we ran screen passes so well. Mm-hmm. We are terrible at screen passes. I, I mentioned it. On, we did it on a fourth and two, and we didn't even come close to converting it. We had an interception on it last week against Indiana. Again, wasn't even close. And that's supposed to be one of the easiest passes in football is the screen pass. And it's not even like, oh, the pass is inaccurate. Yes, they have been. But – we're not selling it apparently because these defenses look very ready for it. Usually, when you know defenses are they're supposed to be going upfield, they they're about to hit the quarterback. Sean Clifford doesn't really have any pressure on him. They're like they see it coming a mile away. Yeah. I, I don't know this, what we have to do. This is where we miss Josh Gaddis. This is where we miss him because I've noticed these plays. The wide receivers are terrible at blocking. I haven't seen them block a, a screen pass well at all. And that's kind of or they're just tipping it or something. I don't know what's going on. I mean, that's one of the biggest parts, and they're really not coming up big on that. Yeah, Um, yeah. I'm I'm not a fan of the screen passes right now. As much as I I have loved them in the past, I think they're a great play. Right. We don't do them well enough. I think we should um, probably abandon them for now. In my opinion, especially (laughs) with a couple guys that we don't know how good they are in the passing game at running back. We knew Barkley was really good at it. Um, You know, going back a couple years before that. We had a couple guys that were pretty good uh, in receiving as running backs. I'm not sure about it right now. And I have one more thing I want to talk about is lack of creativity and play calling. Kind of thinking about this is like, you know, I'm a baseball coach now. I, I was a pitcher back when I played baseball. In terms of play calling, you should kind of be setting things up to, you know, put something else in, in play. Like you set, you, you know, you throw your fastball to set up your, your changeup. You throw your high fastball to set up your low curveball. I mentioned a little bit with the motion plays Ohio State was doing. They were setting things up. We don't really do that. It's, all right, we're going to go QB run or uh, QB option here, QB option here. We did it one drive where you could see setting stuff up on the side to go over the middle. 
where we ran the running back out and the crossing routes went to the middle. We ran the option and had the crossing routes going across the middle so that the Ohio State linebackers bit, they went up, and we just snuck right behind them. Once Ohio State started taking that away, we had no answer. We had no answer. They took away our curveball. <laughs> we were fastball heavy. <laughs> and what happens when you're sitting on a fastball? I, I like the baseball analogy here. I'm, I'm enjoying this. Yeah, I had to throw baseball in the <laughs> podcast. I'm, I miss it. Yeah. <laughs> I miss it. But you, you throw a couple fastballs in a row, you're going to get hit, right? Yes. We, we got hit a little bit. Predictability. Yes. We can't have predictability. We have to be on the offensive. I'm looking at you, the Astros. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, with a bang, go to the ugly. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with the most obvious ugly. Um, looking at an empty Beaver Stadium, first off, that was very ugly. Terrible. Um, I don't ever want to see that again for a whiteout game. <laughs> please, let's get some uh, fans back in the stands by next year. Yeah, some Penn State fan, please come up with a vaccine <laughs> or a test that takes place in five minutes. Um, <laughs> And let's get it whatever it is. Rolling. Yeah, let's and get it you filled. Know what? I, I have this as like a bad, in my opinion, with Beaver Stadium empty. Yeah, it's it stunk. But what made it ugly for me <laughs> was ESPN before every single stadium shot was like, oh, this was last year at the Whiteout. <laughs> Look at this, and then empty. And it's like I'm already depressed yeah, here. Adding Don't insult to injury worse. there. Yeah. yeah, like like really serious insult <laughs> to really serious injury. Like, don't do that to us. Like, that that hurt. And then we lose. Like, it hurts even more. Yeah. Oh, man. We need yeah. a whiteout next year. Yeah, it better happen. Embarrassing plays for me. We had so many embarrassing plays that, not only in the stat sheet and the scoreboard, but just looking at us on the field, we're like, yeah, we're not as good as these guys. One was Pat Fryer with the pass protection, where we talked about Devin Ford. He was standing up his guy. And pass protection, Pat Fryer with got just destroyed <laughs> that's just to put it nicely yeah. in my opinion we had defensive players tackling each other while <laughs> ohio state was running all over us and i think really the the most glaring one of the night that is gonna be in highlight reels especially if this ohio state defender gets drafted sean clifford and devin ford were tackled in the backfield by one player <laughs> on a on a qb option mesh you got tackled two guys got tackled by one player how does that happen? Yeah. Like, that's so embarrassing. And, again, I think it speaks – that those types of plays speak more to how far apart these teams were on Saturday night. Yeah. Other than, you know, the box score, which was pretty glaring as well. But those plays, watching them live, are like, we're not. We're not in the same league as these guys. We're yeah. And, and just building off of that, you know, continuing to go with the, with the, the Sean Clifford-designed um, quarterback run – they got stuffed almost every single time. Like everyone knew it was coming. It it, it was like, I'm yeah, like, eight, eighteen how do we carries keep for this? five yards. People, eighteen carries, five yards. It got stuffed is an understatement. <laughs> like we're on national TV and you're running the same play and you're getting tackled behind the line every single time and you keep doing it. That is embarrassing. Yeah, definition of insanity is doing the same thing <laughs> over and over and expecting a different result. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right, let's move on from that ugly. Let's go to another ugly. Um, ugliest for me, wow, the offensive line. Um, brutal, brutal. <laughs> you, you've talked about them in glowing terms a lot. I say a lot of things. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I texted you on Saturday. I said, Craig, I don't know what you see in this offensive line. They're just not good. 
Um, they couldn't get their running game going. I will say, I'll give them a little bit of credit. The, they, they didn't get as much pressure as I thought, they were, or give up as much pressure as I thought they were going to give up. Like I talked about before in this podcast, Clifford had some time sometimes. He, just, he was just getting too, mm-hmm. you know, he wanted to scramble. I don't know. You know, he was just nervous, whatever it may be. But overall, the offensive line, really not impressed. I'm going to defend my name here. You know, you're calling <laughs> me out for my offensive line takes. I, had, I have some logic for it. Okay. I mentioned in the preseason, we have left tackle, started all 13 games last year. Uh, two left guards that have starting experience, Mike Miranda and C.J. Thorpe, which C.J. Thorpe, you just, every time I watch him, it's like he's a little chippy. He has a little attitude. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking myself into them again. I, oh, I'm glad God. you have this optimism yeah. about them because I, from the beginning I haven't. This has yeah. been a struggle for them for like five years, yeah. and or geez, more than five years at this point. Since it's always been a week. Even yeah, since yeah. O'Brien was here, they yeah. couldn't get a good offensive line. Yeah, Michael <laughs> Mennett's supposed to be uh, you know an experienced starter. He's a captain. Um, you know, Will Fry, same thing. We we just don't play like it all the time, especially. And I said this before. So Ohio State defensive line didn't have that big name guy that we are used to, and that Chase Young, the Bosa brothers, that type of that type of crew they didn't have that and they just they, they didn't care they just went right after Penn State <laughs> they, they had no problems yeah I'm not I'm not sold on them you're gonna have to give me more I I'm done defending them I'm just <laughs> defending myself my logic my logic there fair um, enough I'm moving on a, a play that doesn't mean that much in the grand scheme of things but again I was just like that can't happen if we're a good football team we allowed Justin Fields to do a QB sneak under center on a third and four. How does he get five yards on a QB sneak? How? Lose the battle up front. That, that's not just losing it. That's, that's a lot. That's getting, a lot more. Getting out physical, if yes. you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's an understatement. That's just a, a really, really bad play that if you're a good team, you don't allow that. You anything you stuff it you say oh this guy's he, he's about to like rush us and go quick qb sneak we gotta put an end to this no we we let him go five six yards and get the first i hated that <laughs> well i'll tell you this in keeping with my want to stay positive attitude somewhat positive attitude in this podcast i'm gonna quit it on the ugly <laughs> and uh, move on from this game. Okay, I have, I have one more I want to add. I mentioned before, <laughs> four yards in a quarter with three points that were gifted to us. Again, how many times does that happen in football? I need some research on that because I can't say that's going to happen in the future, and I can't say it's ever happened before. So let's get to the mailbag. Yeah. All right, we're going to go to um, our first question here from our buddy, Aaron Pregman. <laughs> Uh, hey guys, I've listened like once or twice before, so I know how this goes. Yeah, he's a he's a frequent mailer. He gets his postage stamps in. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on the play of Clifford. If an hour into this podcast you haven't gathered that already, um, we'll definitely break it down for you a little bit here now. In my opinion, he did enough to make the game close, but we haven't seen that ability to totally take over a game and leave his mark. Um, do you want to give your reason for why you think that is? Yeah, I, I think you answered this before. I think we kind of know what he is now, and he doesn't have that ability to take over a game. He's an okay quarterback. 
that's serviceable for a college football team, but he's not someone that you can count on like Fields to take over a game and leave his mark. He doesn't have the accuracy. Um, he doesn't have the pocket presence. Clearly, we talked about that a lot in this podcast. And those are two ingredients that you need to um, take over, totally take over a game, as you said. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Um, I think he's kind of just a stopgap guy for now. Um, and you know, I made the comparison before to Anthony Morelli. I'm going to compare him to Trace McSorley right now. I think we, when we had Trace McSorley under, uh, as our quarterback, we loved his big playability. But with his big playability, he was very consistent in his big playability. I think Sean Clifford has some big playability as a quarterback. He's not that consistent in creating big plays like Trace McSorley was. That's where, you know, that's I think that's the key difference between those two is the lack of consistency in the big plays where we know that James Franklin is continuing to look for the big plays. We saw it on the third and two on the opening drive for this offense. Trace McSorley probably completes that pass to Jahan Dotson. We go, we tie Ohio State 7-7. Clifford misses it. We have to drop another play. You know, we don't take advantage of other teams' mistakes because our quarterback isn't consistent as the one we had before. And, you know, hopefully that he cleans that up in these next six, seven games. But I think that's the reason why we don't see him go to the next level um, that I think he has the talent to do. I, I, I really think he has that. We see the arm talent in terms of the, in terms of the ability to throw the ball. It's just not as consistent um, to be a great college quarterback at this point. Well said. Yeah. Um, so then our next question from our other buddy, uh, Jack Went. When will the quote-unquote fire Franklin crowd realize he is not the sole play caller on the staff? Soraka looks like he picked up the same playbook they've had and is running a stale offense. Just remember, the grass isn't always greener in the head coaching free agency market. Preach, Jack. Preach. What do you got? I've been a little tired of defending Franklin. I, I, I am so annoyed with the people who immediately come on and say, fire Franklin, fire Franklin, every time there's one loss or you know, something bad happens or there's mm-hmm. a bad coaching mistake, you know, whatever it may be. He is running a good program. I, I, I'm not, like you said, you're a big fan of Franklin. So am I. I think he's the right coach for right now. Um, I, you know, hope to see him stay for many more years at this point. Yeah. Um, I like where the, I like where the, organ, or the organization, the, uh, <laughs> I like where the, the, <laughs> the program. program is going here. Um, I got baseball in my mind now. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, you know, in terms of, you know, Soraka and his play calling, I agree. It's looked very stale and it, you know, it has reminded me a lot of Ricky Ronnie's offense from last year. Um, but I think a lot of this comes down to, you know, when you look at Franklin and, you know, all the coaches that he's had, they've had a lot of offensive coordinators in the last, you know, six, seven years since mm-hmm. Franklin got here. And that says volumes about what they've been doing here. And that's, they've been good. You know, you have Moorhead, you know, he seemed like a perfect fit. That was Franklin's hire. I don't like the people not remember yeah. this. So, you know, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, well, you know, this offense looks terrible. And Franklin's the guy that, that hired the offensive coordinator. He handpicked him. Look, I'm not ready to give up on Kirk Soraka already. I'm not. I have been very disappointed in the first two games. But, I mean, we saw what he did in Minnesota. He, he has he has something in him. Like Franklin saw something. I think we all saw something last year when they played Minnesota. So I think just give him a little more time. Um, I think we need to stop with the sky is falling um, attitude almost every time they lose a game. Franklin's doing his best. He has always lost a lot of coaches 
um, that have made moves for, you know, promotions. Yeah, promotions. You know, a couple lateral moves, but still, if if these guys are leaving because they're getting recruited by other programs, that means they did a good job at Penn State. So, you know, if, you know, Franklin's biggest um, knock is that his coaches are leaving, I mean, I'll be happy with that if he keeps hiring the right guys. So let's not give up on Soraka just yet. You know, maybe it was a bad hire. Who knows? Two games into the season, two games into his entire Penn State career, um, let's give it a little more time. I think this offense will get going at some point. I think he just needs a little more time to kind of get into the to the groove of uh, what Penn State is all about. No, you brought up some great points, Brandon. And the one I, I love the most is like, yeah, James Franklin hired Joe Moorhead, who you all love. Right. Before 2016, did any of you know who Joe Moorhead was? <laughs> the only person I can think of is one of our buddies, John O'Boyle, who played football at Fordham for Joe Moorhead. That was like, this guy's awesome. You're going to love him. <laughs> and we're like, oh, okay. And then, you know, to start 2016, we're like, this offense isn't that great with Saquon Barkley and McSorley. We saw what happened. James Franklin made that hire. Um, and I'll have two defenses for both Franklin and Soraka, two games in the season with us being 0-2. I'll defend Franklin and, you know, the fire Franklin crowd. He's missing, again, three of his best players in a really weird season. And one of those players is, again, a defensive captain, an impact player that if he's on the field, he eliminates a lot of potential mistakes. You know, we screw up a a play in coverage. Maybe it's not even seen on television because Michael Parsons is in the backfield. We're missing our top two running backs. How important is a running game to an offense? Uh, I mean, very. We saw it. We only ran for 36 yards or whatever the total was. Yeah, so so we're limited. Yes. And I'll defend Franklin there. And again, his tone of voice in these uh, press conferences, you could tell that he he realizes what this football team is, what this 2020 season is. And, you know, he's more concerned sometimes about how they're wearing a mask on the sidelines than – you know, how they're playing. And, you know, I know that's a huge 2020 issue, but I think it speaks to what he sees in this team this year. They're not going to do the big things that Penn State fans might want. Um, and then in terms of Soraka, you know, still play calling, same playbook as Ronnie, some people may think. We don't know what they're able to do in practice, how many times they met, and maybe when they did meet, maybe it was only a Zoom call. You know, we don't know what their practice protocols are. It's not the same. He can't throw all of his tricks onto the table and say, hey, guys, we're going to run this. You know, we see the screenplays. This is something that we haven't always done in this Penn State offense the last couple of years. He's trying to do it now, and you can see that we're not executing it. Maybe we need some time to develop that. And, again, we're both big defenders in the James Franklin crowd. I think Soraka was a good hire by him. I think two games in, yes, we can be disappointed, but we need to get a – this isn't John Donovan – it's not. <laughs> Don't remind me of him. <laughs> yeah, I, I know you were. He was far from your mind, but now I'm, I'm going to give you some nightmares tonight. Um, so I, I think that Jack, that's a great question or a great point. I should I should say there's, and again, these if you're a regular person, you're not in sports. If you're able to get a promotion, are you going to take it? Absolutely, right. These guys, as coaches, you know, James Franklin was once in this position. He's an assistant coach. He's able to become a head coach or an OC instead of a position coach. 
He's going to do it. This is his career. This is how he feeds his family. This is how he, he lives. This is what they do. This is their profession. If you know Joe Moorhead leaves to become a head coach, he has every right to do that. It's his career. Ricky Ronnie, if he wants to leave to become a head coach, it's his profession. He has every single right to do that. Um, so, you know, I don't think Kirk Strocker is leaving right now. Um, at least he doesn't have a good resume for this year to put together. <laughs> but that's why with all the turnover, I know you read in the article, Julian Fleming said that there's a lot of instability or instability in this Penn State offense. And that's part of why he uh, turned them down despite visiting him so much. Well, even, I mean, even going to fields, uh, I, I know one of the biggest reasons why he decommitted from Penn State was be, that was because Moorhead yeah. left and, you know, he felt that connection with Moorhead and kind of offense that he wanted to run and um, that kind of got pulled out from under him. So that's, you know, just another point. Like these guys, these coaches are not regular people. Like they they know football better than the, the, the average Joe. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of a big part of, you know, college football. And that's something that people are going to have to deal with. And Franklin's going to probably have to continue to hire new people. That's just how it goes. Yeah. Um, you have anything else you want to add for the pod today? No, I think we, uh, I think we touched on pretty much every negative uh, that happened in this game. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, there was a lot to touch on. Um, a lot of, I think, I said the the seventeen eighteen losses. I think we were the better team nineteen. You, you know, you could think, oh, we were on the road and, you know, we lost our quarterback. Who, who knows how things could have gone. This year was really glaring in terms of the difference. And you see yeah. it um, not only on the field, but, you know, the Jimmies and Joes that we're recruiting and getting and Ohio State's getting. And, you know, you could see it. And so hopefully that going forward, um, we're able to close that gap. I know we just had another big commit in the 2022 class, added a four-star wide receiver in-state, um, you know, maybe – this is stuff that going forward we have to keep track of, um, and we have to see how our you know we mentioned the freshman wide receivers how they develop and a bunch of other guys on this Penn State team um, going forward because look, but Ohio State's in the Big Ten East and so are we, and we <laughs> have to beat them to get you know to to get to that Big Ten championship and get to um, the elite level that James Franklin mentioned in 2018 after we lost to Ohio State that we needed to get to uh, to beat these guys. Yep, they're gonna be. Uh, in our way every year so we have to start somewhere yeah and i'm gonna end this on a positive note um yes we lost by 13 to ohio state but at least we are not the team that lost to our in-state rival after that in-state rival lost <laughs> to Rutgers the week before <laughs> back oh, to man. michigan yeah michigan but hey if we lose to them that's that makes us look pretty yeah bad too. <laughs> we can shut up after that then yeah but uh I hope you guys enjoyed the pod. I know it was a, a longer one uh, today. Um, we had a lot to touch on. We really did. Um, as always, you can find us on Twitter at For the Glory OOS. Um, you can find us on Facebook, For the Glory of Old State. Continue to listen to us on both Apple and Spotify. Continue to share the podcast. Again, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our friends. Um, Corey Lestoki is part of our uh, For the Glory team. He's doing great things with hardcore college football. Um, he also has a podcast, and we did a recap earlier this week. And also our friends at For the Bloggy, um, they did a great job with recapping this game as well. I was, I'm really impressed by you know both Corey and the For the Bloggy team. They've been doing a great job. Yeah. Um, uh, just want to say, as you said, thank everyone for listening, following along on the Twitter, Facebook, the website, whatever it may be. Um, 
please share the podcast. Tell your friends. Let them know to come our way. Uh, give us a couple more listens. We would greatly appreciate that. Um, also, expect us to release a Maryland preview towards the end of the week. Um, we'll have that up and ready before game day. Uh, game is at 3.30, correct, on Saturday at Beaver Stadium? Yep. Uh, so we'll be ready for that. Um, for now, hope you guys reflect on this Ohio State uh, loss, and hopefully we bounce back on Saturday. Yes, positive thoughts. Yes. Uh, thank you guys for listening again. You have a good one.